1 Timothy, chapter 3, verses 1 to 13. The saying is trustworthy. And when the apostle uses a phrase like that, what he's saying is, look, sit up and listen to this. This is really important stuff. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer or elder, that's what the word means, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be thought of by, well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. Deacons, likewise, must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. And let them also be tested first, Then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives, likewise, must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. I hope to come to you soon, but I am writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and a buttress of the truth. Well, let's ask God to help us understand and apply this carefully and faithfully. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we pray that technology would not distract us and that your word would grip us and convict us and help us to understand how we should structure ourselves in terms of leadership in the household of God. And we ask these things in Jesus' name and for Jesus' sake. Amen. Now, if you turn to the center pages of the handout, you'll see some headings that'll help us understand and apply what the Bible is saying here. Now, 1 Timothy is the key letter in the New Testament about how a local church like Chalmers should behave. So if you want to know how you should structure and function and operate in a local church like Chalmers, 1 Timothy is the most important letter to turn to. 
And the key verses in the letter are those we read at the end of the reading, chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. I hope to come to you soon, but I am writing these things. So why are you writing these things? I am writing these things so that I, if I delay, you may know. In other words, if I can't come to you, I'm writing these things down so that you know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God a pillar and buttress of the truth. And a reminder there as to what Chalmers in every local church is. It is the household of God. It is the church of the living God. It is God's church. Not my church. Not anyone's church. It is God's church. And so we ought to behave in the way he tells us Because it is right and good. We need to trust God. And this is very, very important. We need to trust God that God knows what is right and good. We need to trust God in terms of what he says we are to do that we might be as a church a pillar and a buttress of the truth. It is a big job given to the church, local churches like Chalmers. Our job is to be a pillar and a buttress of the truth. Our job is to hold up the truth in our culture and in our society. And that's always going to be hard, but it's going to be harder still when the culture and the society has a wholly different view of what that truth is. Where are we living in a period in the history of the church where the church's or the Bible's view of truth was that largely shared by the culture and it wouldn't be as different. Now, what we've seen so far in 1 Timothy chapter 1, the basic principle there is keep teaching in the church, the same old, simple, biblical gospel that has brought people to faith and changed them for 2,000 years. Don't change the gospel. What is the gospel? It's there in chapter 1. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Chapter 2, verses 1 to 7. Pray for all kinds of people that they will become believers. And then chapter 2, verses 8 to 15, that we looked at last week, men, not women, should exercise authority in the local church and teach in a mixed church gathering. So the verse uh, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 12, I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man, rather she is to remain quiet, for Adam was formed first and then Eve. Now, do listen to the sermon from last week where I was able to explain not only what that does mean, but also what it does not mean. And as with any sermon series, thank you for those who write and ask questions. It is a huge help to me and to Rog and to Sam when you do that. Uh, Please email or ask us if you have questions or comments. And thank you for the careful and prayerful way you have all engaged with this material in your small uh, groups. 
Let me just respond to one question that uh, a number have asked me. uh, And it's a good question, and it's just the right question to ask. Are these principles, is this teaching uh, culturally bound to the first century or to the situation in Ephesus to whom Paul is writing? Or are these principles universal in their application and uh, timeless? And that's a really good question. We need to answer that question well. Is the teaching here relating to the first century culture or a biblical principle that applies uh, today? After all, and this is true, the first century culture was largely a male-dominated one. Now, how can we come to an answer on that? Well, one facet to that is that at the birth and the resurrection of Jesus, and they're hugely significant events in salvation history, women had a significant status and role. And we tend to, in our kind of reformed Protestant world, we're cautious, for example, about the role of Mary in the birth of Jesus. But that's a big deal. And the Bible makes a big deal of Mary. Every generation will call her blessed. And at the resurrections, Mary... And the others who are there to witness his resurrection. And all the way through the Gospels, think of Mark's Gospel, Jesus pinpoints women as his model disciples. Yet, alongside that, he appoints men to be the apostles in the church, as leaders in the church. Likewise, Paul refers lots of times in his writing to women who had a significant leadership and teaching role and affirms them and values them and would not and could not have done his missionary work without them. And yet, whenever he talks about the household of God, that is how a church should be structured, he speaks about men having a leadership role. Now, another answer to the cultural question This week I had a long conversation on Skype uh, or some modern version of that that I couldn't understand with one of our gospel partners in East Asia. What struck me in that conversation was as he spoke to me, the cultural pressures where he is are as strong as here, in fact stronger, but the issues are entirely different. Bible teaching that is at odds with the culture here is not at odds with the culture there. But the gospel is the same. So if you get on a plane to the other side of the world, you face a different set of cultural pressures. But the gospel is the same on both sides of the world. The truth is the truth. And it's very important, we need to be very careful to set aside, not to set aside, rather, what the Bible says is no longer true because we happen to live in a particular part of the world at a particular point in human history with a particular set of cultural issues and pressures. 
All these things are helpful, but by far and away the most important way to answer the cultural question is to look at how it is answered in the Bible. Does the Bible make it clear? And if it doesn't make it clear, we can't be clear. Does the Bible make it clear whether these are cultural matters and therefore no longer applicable or principles that apply today? Well, just look in the Bible to what immediately follows 1 Timothy 2 verse 12. 1 Timothy 2 verse 12 is immediately followed by verse 13, for Adam was formed first, then Eve. And what Paul is saying clearly is that, look, this is a principle that has its roots in creation. So Genesis 1 and 2, quotation, for Adam was formed first, then Eve. It is a creation principle. And that's the key. You've got to look and see where, where, whether the, the writers in the New, are, are saying, look, I'm going to quote from Genesis 1 and 2 to show you that this is a creation uh, principle. Now, just one more uh, thing on that before we, we move uh, on to today's passage. Turn with me in your Bibles to page 978. Now, on page 978, Paul is speaking about the other household. So, these principles apply in in two contexts in the New Testament. In the household that is the church family, and in the household that is marriage, or the families we live in. And this is him speaking about the other household, the family. Now, just listen to this. And don't let the culture persuade you that it's not logical to let the culture persuade you it's wrong. Just listen to it. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its saviour. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. There's a very powerful picture of what men exercising God-given leadership should be like, loving their wives as Christ loves the church, sacrificially with servant heart that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Now, Just what comes next? As we ask the question, is this relevant now? Genesis chapter 2. Therefore, a man shall leave his mother and father and hold fast to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. So what Paul is doing here with the household that is our families, is saying, look, 
This is a principle that applies today because it is rooted, one, in creation. A man shall leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and they will become one flesh. And in redemption. Christ is the head of the church. Now, I hope that's helpful for you to... Now, let me just say as well that, that, that I feel and you feel the weight of the culture on us. I think it's fair to say that it's one thing as Christians getting our heads around what God's Word says, and I think we see what it says. It's another one to, to just feel the, the, the weight and the difference and the, the sort of tension with the culture. But, we, but let me encourage you as your minister, as your pastor. And let me encourage you as a man who fails to love his wife and family in this way, as I suspect that many men here do. Let me encourage us that this is the church of the living God. This is the household of God. And God says to us, in this body of people, when men lead in the way that my word commends, and when women acknowledge and pray and, and submit and nourish that leadership, then there will be unity and stability and difference and strength and goodness. And God says it will be like that. That's the thing. That's the difference. So I commend God's word to you as I do to myself. Now, let's turn to chapter 3. I hope that was a little helpful um, answer to what I think is the, a really good and helpful question, culture or um, a universal principle. Leadership in the household of God. Now, on the right-hand side there, you can see the list of the elders we have in the church and the list of deacons uh, to be appointed. Jesse, Sheila, and John um, will shortly be appointed as deacons, and it says there the elders anticipate more deacons being appointed in the future. That will happen, really happen. Yeah. So it's important you see who they are, and many of you have asked for who are the elders in the church? Are they real people? What do they look like? Well, their pictures will appear soon in various places, as will those of the deacons, as will those of, who hold significant leadership roles across the church in all sorts of areas. It's really important we know who they are. Their names are there because they're real people, and I want you to, to, to pray for them and to think about what the Bible says they are to do. And if you're one of the names there, think about what the Bible says you're to do. Now, elders, firstly, on the left-hand side of the sheet, uh, qualifications and responsibilities. 
The church universal and every local church, every local expression of the universal church is led by Jesus Christ. Yep. Through his word, the word he inspired his apostles to write. So we we are sitting here trying to work out how we should function by turning to the word of the apostles, Jesus' apostles that he inspired, because Jesus leads the church through his apostles' words. Yep. Chalmers Church is led by Jesus through his word, and those in earthly leadership in the local church are elders. That's what the New Testament says, the clear and consistent teaching of the New Testament. Those in leadership in the local church are elders. I wonder if here there is perhaps a necessary corrective to our thinking. We might think the logic is like this. So Jesus is here. Then then it's the apostles. Then it's ministers, people like me. And then it's the elders. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says Jesus, then the apostles, then elders one or two or three of whom in a church might be those who devote themselves to the work and get paid to do it, stipended to do it. But the category of minister or vicar or rector or whatever it is from wherever you're from isn't there in the Bible. It's Jesus, the apostles, elders. Now, let's look at the detail in the text. Verse 1. This saying is trustworthy. I wonder if the apostle was inspired to write words like that for centuries like the 21st century in the Western world. This is trustworthy. The term overseer, verse 1, also translated as bishop, is used interchangeably in the New Testament with elder and pastor teacher. And you're going to have to take my word for that. I can give you... uh, plenty chapter and verse on it if you'd like, Uh, they all refer the word overseer, elder, and pastor teacher to the same office of leadership. And I'll explain why in a moment. Just to say too that the term overseer and elder are used numerous times, I think over 60 times in the New Testament, the word pastor teacher only once. Now how can we be sure that the word overseer and elder are referring to the same office of leadership. Let me read from John Stott's uh, commentary. He just says it brilliantly as ever. In New Testament times, it is all but certain that episkopos, which is the Greek word meaning overseer or bishop, and uh, presbyteros, which means presbyter or elder, were two titles for the same office. The evidence is compelling So, for example, Paul sent for the elders of the Ephesian church in Acts, and then as they arrived, he called them overseers. In the same way, Peter appealed to the elders among his readers to serve as overseers of God's flock. Thirdly, Paul wrote to the Philippian church together with the overseers and uh, uh, deacons. And he must have omitted to mention the elders only because they were the same as the overseers. And finally, Paul instructed Titus to appoint elders in every town and then said about them, 
that the overseers that you are to appoint must be blameless. So they are the same office of leadership in the church. Now in 1 Timothy 3, 1 to 7, Paul focuses on the qualifications for elders. Now, let me, let me correct an emphasis that we might have given as we have studied all of this. You immediately focus on the ability to teach, which is important, and then the sort of controversial bit that elders are to be men. What stands out from you in this text isn't any of that. What cries out to you from this text is the emphasis on godliness. Just listen to it. An elder must be above reproach. The husband of one wife. That's a a reference to uh, sexual fidelity. Sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well. He must, verse 7, be well thought of by outsiders. Godliness is the overwhelming emphasis in terms of qualifications for leadership in the church. And I think it's obvious to us how important that is. Every year there is another scandal or more than one scandal in terms of those who carry on leadership in churches. And the scandal is in the realm of morality. Always. I find that a scary list. Godliness is the overwhelming emphasis and then there needs to be a desire to be an elder. Just look at verse 1. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. That is important and offer overlooked. It is the elder's responsibility in a church to appoint other elders. We know that from Paul's instruction to Timothy. Uh, Paul says to Timothy, Timothy is an elder. Uh, who gives himself wholly to the work, but he is an elder in the Bible. Paul says to him, what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others. Timothy, go and appoint more elders. To Titus, appoint elders in every uh, town. Now, while it is the local church's responsibility to appoint uh, elders by prayerfully considering who in the church fulfills the biblical qualification for eldership, there must also be on the part of the person a godly desire and aspiration to be an elder. So if someone were to say to me at an interview for this job, do you want to be the minister? And by that they mean elder who gives all their life to the job in this church. Do you want the job? (laughs) And there is not a day that goes by in my life where I desire anything more than this. That's just the truth. That's got to be there. I think that's probably what the New Testament means by call, a God-given desire or aspiration. When an elder in a church loses the desire to fulfill that leadership role, they should stop or have a rest. And that's no bad thing. They might well need it. 
And if your minister, teaching elder, me, or Roger, or Sam, I guess, loses the desire to love you and to serve you, and loses the, the thrill and the excitement of studying God's word and being able to pass it on to people, then you should encourage us to step back. It's got to be there. Elders must also be able to teach. You'll see that at the end of verse 2. In the equivalent passage in Titus, it is amplified. Titus 1 and 9, let me read it. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. Why is able to teach a necessary qualification for elders? Now, I think we've seen this from Timothy now because the church is led by Christ through his word and those in earthly leadership lead by teaching uh, the word. That's why my job is primarily the Bible teacher here. Because the church is led not by me, but by the word. So you need people who give their lives to teaching that word. That's how the church is led. See, all these discussions we're having around how to be as a church, it all comes from the word of God. All of it. Elders lead by teaching the word. Notice, too, that the ability to teach is what distinguished the list of qualifications for elders and deacons. If you were to do two tables, qualifications for elders, one to seven, qualifications for deacons, eight to 13, the one difference is elders are to have the ability to teach because they lead and leadership comes through teaching God's word. Now, turn in your Bibles forward to 1 Timothy five seventeen. Let me read it. Just speed up a bit. I'll speed up a bit. Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, and the laborer deserves his wages. Is Paul suggesting two kinds of elders, ruling elders and teaching elders? In other words, elders who do the business stuff and there are other elders who do the teaching stuff. No, because he'd be contradicting himself contradicting himself in two ways, both the specific requirements that elders are able to teach and the big, big principle that authority is exercised through teaching. Elders do not exercise authority in the way that those in leadership exercise authority in the world. So this is the, where the, the, you go to work on Monday and the leadership structures there are not like the leadership structures in the local church. So I think it's a fair call when people say, in my experience, when you have only men in leadership, it's a disaster. And it's a fair call. But this is the church. This is the church. And the leadership required of men in the church is not to lead like that. able to teach. So what is he saying in 1 Timothy 5.17? While all elders need to be able to teach and exercise their authority through teaching, there are some who give more of their time to it. That's what it's saying. Those who are especially gifted perhaps in preaching and teaching, they labor in preaching and uh, teaching. That's why when you, you choose a minister, that's one of these people here, they need to be able to preach or teach. 
It's not because if they can't, it'll be deadly boring. It's because that's their responsibility. And the laborer deserves his wages. That's where all the stuff about stipends in ministry comes from. Not salaries or bonuses, just stipended, enough to live on. That's what it means. And the people in Chalmers who are like that are me and Rog and Sam. That's what it means. And that should not take away the requirement for all elders being able to teach. Not all elders will be regular preachers. Some will be occasional preachers. Here, like uh, uh, Johnny, I, I guess, he, he's, he's what that would mean. Or, or others will exercise their leadership through teaching the Bible in a whole lot of different settings, like leading small groups or discipling people. What Paul said to, to Titus, people, elders who are able to sit down with someone and give them instruction in sound doctrine and say to them, no, that stuff is wrong. That's what an elder should do. And finally, elders are to be men, which is the clear and consistent teaching of the Bible. Why? It reflects the biblical responsibility given to men in the household and in the household of God, the church. What do elders do? Well, this text is not focusing on that. It's focusing on their qualifications. Um, Elsewhere in the Bible, for example, 1 Peter 5, the role of the elder is described as a shepherd. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you exercising oversight. Whenever I use the word shepherd, Shepherd in our culture, we've got, we've got to explain, you see. If in their culture, you wouldn't. you just go, oh yeah, shepherd. Yeah. Um, the elders are studying a book at the moment uh, called Biblical Eldership. And it's a great little book. And it describes the role of the elder as shepherd. And these are the chapter titles in the book. Smell like sheep. In other words, yes, you're trustees of a charity. I know that. But more than that, you're elders of a church. Serve up the word. Track down the strays. Lead without lording. Shepherd together. Model maturity. Plead for the flock, conscious of the eternal weight of shepherding. Now that's a great biblical list that stops us from the danger of thinking that men in leadership in a local church is like the, the board that's just got men out there in the world because the board out there in the world does not teach the Bible, is not concerned and will lay down their life for people when they drift away from the truth, is not driven to care and love for God's people, will not lead in humility with a servant heart like the Lord Jesus and protect those under their care from anything that distracts them from the truth and when the elders meet, it's not like a board meeting. They turn to each other and say, are you watching your life as well as your teaching? Are you godly? And then they turn to prayer for those they are to care for. Now, deacons, 
Let me read the relevant verses again, 8 to 13. Deacons likewise must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience and let them also be tested first, then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives likewise must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well for those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ. Now, what strikes you from that list? What stands out, just like eldership, is the emphasis on godliness. The one thing that is different from the list of qualifications for elders and qualifications for deacons is the ability to teach. It's a light flashing. I wonder if the lights are connected to the projector, connected to the heating, connected to some mystery. Godliness. Now, you need to run a mile from any sense that elders are the godly people and let's get other people who can do practical stuff and call them deacons. It's exactly the same. Godliness. Godliness. Think of Acts chapter 6, verses 1 to 7. The apostles needed to vote themselves to the prayer and the ministry of the word And so the apostle said, we need to find people to do this practical stuff. And what does it say? Go and look for godly people. Godly people. Deacons, the role of deacon is open to men and women. Now let me explain how we came to that conclusion as elders here. Verse 11 is the key verse. It reads in our translation, their wives likewise must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Now, the Greek word translated wives here can also uh, mean women, and as commonly does. And it's hard to be certain where the correct translation is. So if you pick out any Bible commentary on 1 Timothy, they will say to you it's hard to be certain in chapter 3, verse 11, whether it's saying their wives likewise must be dignified, or whether it's saying the women. In other words, the women who are deacons must also be uh, like uh, this. Now, after a long discussion as elders, we concluded that Paul is most likely referring here in verse 11 to women, that is, women who are deacons, the women deacons likewise, and so on. Why did we come to that conclusion? Well, that translation and understanding would be corroborated by the fact that in Romans 16.11, for example, Phoebe is described as a deacon. Moreover, deacons are different from the elders and that they are not those in authority oversight in the church, charged with the duty of authoritative teaching. So the role of the deacon seems not to involve anything that Paul taught that is uh, not right for women to do in the life of a church. And just to say as well that during the discussions on this and other matters with respect to the church's leadership, we used often the material of three prominent uh, worldwide churches at the heart of the gospel coalition in the United States, Bethlehem Church and John Piper, uh, Redeemer Church and Tim Keller, and Capitol Hill Baptist Church and Nine Marks and Mark Dever. And uh, they all take the position that the office of deacon is open to men and women. And that was not as persuasive to us as the Bible, but it's certainly helpful when others... uh, conclude similarly. And here in Edinburgh, for example, Charlotte Chapel um, have men and women deacons, but uh, men uh, as elders. All that said, 
There are those within our constituency, churches like us, that take a different view, that only men can be deacons. The Bible is crystal clear that elders should be men. And just to say, that's not putting charmers on a limb. For example, the FIEC, which is the largest federation of independent evangelical churches in the UK, 520 of them, to be a member of that, that's the big body of independent churches, elders are to be men. That's the, the kind of normal position. All the gospel partnership churches in Edinburgh, that's the position. But on deacons, there is different positions taken by different churches. And we need to acknowledge that Scripture is not crystal clear on this. And the Bible is clear on elders, less clear on deacons. And we have come to our decision weighing all these things together prayerfully and carefully. Now, what are the responsibilities of deacons? Well, in a nutshell, the responsibilities of deacons are to facilitate and assist the elders in their work. To take responsibility for matters in church life such that the elders are able to focus on and not be distracted for their God-given role. Let me just illustrate it like this. I'm an elder, and there are a million things, a million and three things, that uh, ministers want to do and are encouraged to do and people want them to do. My job primarily, not exclusively, my job primarily is to, is to teach and to care and to disciple. That's my job. And the Bible says it's going to be hard for you and the other elders to do that job if you do all this other stuff. So, so people will be there to, who are gifted to enable and facilitate you to do what the Bible says you should do. And if I'm really honest, in a church like Chalmers, what those of us who are elders need to do is not do some of the stuff the Bible says we are not to do. I think the problem is often me holding on to stuff. We need to spread it out, as the Bible says. Some areas of church life, there is overlap, like finance and property. There, there are big areas where some oversight is required, which is why we have an elder, Norman Martin, David Rogers, who chair our finance and property groups, but they stand back from the, the, the work of day-to-day leadership. So John Sawley is our treasurer as a deacon, so that David can stand back and help the elders think through the bigger picture And uh, I hope you see that that makes uh, sense. One other area in church life to facilitate the elders in their shepherding responsibilities to care for people. We've set up a pastoral ministry group with myself, Rog, two other elders, and Sheila Sked and Jesse Bell as our deacons for pastoral ministry because it is right that pastoral care is exercised by men and women as appropriate. Now, as we close, let me just weave together how this applies to Chalmers. Let me just refresh for us the decisions we have made as a church about leadership. Uh, That as a church, as the church of the living God, as the household of God here in Chalmers, we believe that the church is ruled by Jesus through his apostles' words. Under Jesus, who is the head, those entrusted with earthly leadership in a local church are elders. Elders should be men, reflecting the creation principle of male headship in the household of God, the church, as in marriage and the family household. The qualifications for elders are exacting. 
You want to be an elder, you exemplify godly character, you can teach the Bible, you lead your family well, and you are an established believer. Because the church is led by Christ through his word, the primary role of the elder is teaching the Bible. That is how elders lead. Being able to teach means more than willingness, it means skill, ability, a gifting from God. It does not mean that every elder preaches. Some will, others teach the Bible in a variety of different ways. While all elders are able to teach and do teach, there are some who labor in preaching and teaching. That is, give their life to it. And reflecting the principle of male headship, that elders should be men, and that elders lead by teaching the Bible, in the household of God, it would not be right for women to teach the Bible to men in context such that these principles are undermined. Which is why I preach on a Sunday morning, or Roger or Sam does. The Bible teaches that elders are supported and enabled in the work that they are to do by deacons. So we're going to put something that was wrong right in the church. We're going to have deacons. We should have. The Bible says we should. Who will take care of much of the important work of the church which embraces leadership so that the elders can concentrate on their primary calling. The qualifications for deacons are just as exacting. People should be appointed as deacons, recognizing their practical gifts. And the Bible's not daft. God's not daft. You can't have a deacon for finance if they can't count. But that's way down the list. John Sorley is a man who loves the Lord Jesus. That's what counts more. While able to teach is a qualification for elders, it is not for deacons. The office of deacon in Chalmers we believe should be open to both men and women. Deacons will be under the authority of the elders and appointed by the elders. Some have been appointed now. Sheila, Jesse, and John, as you can see, more will be appointed over time. Now, as we close, to the elders here, or those who aspire to eldership, that's some of you, maybe, as part of the leadership of the church plant. That's some of you. The eternal weight of shepherding those under your care, is a big responsibility. We've seen with Ali and Ben this morning the fusion of privilege and responsibility. I have the most privileged job in the world to be your minister, teaching elder. But it's a big responsibility. Part of that responsibility is to teach you as I'm doing now in a passage like this. It's a wonderful, wonderful privilege, but a big responsibility. Let me encourage those here who are elders, watch your life as well as your teaching. And when you think you cannot do it, when you are weak, that is when you can because you serve God in his strength and independence in him. To the deacons, to those who are deacons or who may be in the future here or in the church plant, that is a noble task. The qualifications for the role are exacting and you too must rest in God's grace depending on him. Let me encourage you to facilitate and enable the elders in their work and to serve sacrificially out of love for the Lord Jesus and his people. And to us all in relation to the elders, those in leadership in the church, let me read to you from Hebrews 13 and 17. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. And let me ask you to do that as a church family. 
to obey your leaders, the elders, and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls. They do so fitfully and badly and with godlessness. But let me encourage you that their desire is to watch over your souls. That is my desire. It is our deep, deep desire to do what is right by God in his church. And to us all in relation to our own godliness, what is said of elders in terms of their godliness, what is said of deacons in terms of their godliness is true for us all. Why is that the case? Because the person up here is a sinner as much as you and you are as much as me. We're all just, we're all just a mess. Whenever I say that, all the preachers, that I, can, I can see your faces, which is great on a Sunday. They all smile and go, <laughs> listen to the list. This is us all. We all serve in this church. What we do matters. Who we are matters most. The greatest gift we can give to this church family is our personal godliness. So listen as we close to what godliness is. To be above reproach, to be sober-minded, to be self-controlled, to be respectable, hospitable, not a drunkard, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money, well thought of by outsiders, dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. And these words that preceded Ben and Ali as they gave their promises, do you need to proceed that list with these words? Depending on the grace of God. Right, let's pray. Father God, we thank you for the clarity of the Bible's teaching and help us, Lord, to heed it well and to heed it with love and graciousness and with deep affection for one another. Help us, Lord, to be increasingly a church that is like the household of God that you commend in Scripture, that is the church of the living God, that we might be a pillar and buttress of the truth. Help us, Lord, to listen, to engage, to talk with each other as we come under the authority of this powerful and living and relevant word. And for these things, we thank you and pray in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.